Thank you to Lauren and to Lisa and to the Women's Small Group and to everyone here today for being here and for being you. We are grateful that you are here. We are grateful for whatever has happened that God has brought you here to where you are and to who you are. I love that song we sang, I Need You to Survive, because it's about our human need for connection, <laughs> that we need others to survive, but it's also about the reality of who the body of Christ is that none of us are truly loved until all of us know love, that none of us are truly filled with joy until all of us know joy, that none of us are free until all of us are free, and it's in friendship and in connection that we see the ways in which we do not exist without each other, that we need each other to survive and we need each other to thrive. And so I'm grateful for you being in this room because I need you, and I think we need each other. <laughs> I didn't have to ask. <laughs> um, so if you are the same kind, would you please pray with me? God of grace and mercy, God of friendship and surprises, God who has been with us in good times and bad when it's easy to be around other people and when it's hard, when they drive us crazy and when they make us happy and when we don't know what comes next and when we do, thank you for always being there for us. Help us Help our words and our movements and our minds to be directed by you as they ever should not be. Help us to forgive ourselves and help us to move forward in your ever-present second chances towards the kingdom to which you have invited us in a love and justice and friendship. I have a three-year-old at home, and she went to camp for the first time this summer, uh, which I didn't think it was going to be a big deal, and then I dropped her off the first day, and I realized this is the first time she's going to have a day where I don't know everything that happens under her. <laughs> she's going to interact with people, and she's going to go places, and maybe she'll choose to tell me about some of it, but it is entirely conceivable that I never know what she experiences in the next six hours, and uh, it, you know, gave me some feelings and some emotions. But it also means that every day after camp, I was trying in my subtlest way to figure out what was happening. Oh, who, who was at camp today? Did you make a new friend? Did you have a fun time? And about half the time I got your like classic, it was fun, it's good. It starts at three, it's not, it does not start at would She would say to us, I don't feel like talking about that. Maybe I'll tell you after dinner. Camp backers. Somehow when you're a kid, you just do it. 
you just make a friend. You just start spending time with someone, and then you either like it or you don't, and then they become your friend or they don't. Cut to a few weeks into camp, I'm there to pick her up, and there's a woman my age sitting on the bench picking up her daughter, and we strike up a conversation, and she mentions a song that I really like. And we like talk about it for a little bit. And I come home and I'm like, I think I met someone who might be able to be friends with Because that's a unique occurrence in my life. As I am finding out through the sermon series, it is for most adults, for many adults, that we are feeling a little desperate about our adult friendships and relationships, and we find it hard to find them. Um, going to church is a great, great idea. Um, my church is also my job, so it's harder for me. Um, and so, and so I, I, I was really excited, um, but then I didn't know what to do next, right? Uh, it wasn't just like, oh, we're both the smallest, now we're friends. <laughs> I had to put some work into it. And, and so each day, I was like, I wonder if she's going to be there now. Um, and then each day that she was there, I would try and have like a small conversation, but not too long a conversation in case I freaked her out or she didn't like me. And Matt and I were planning, like, you can, but camp is going to end at some point, right? And like, we want our kids to play together, but also I like don't meet moms very often who I vibe with. Like, this is a golden opportunity. People who are kids play together and we can play together. And so we were like planning who's going to go to which pickup so that I can get her number, what's the easy way to ask for her number, what's the polite way to ask for her number. We invested these hours in thinking through how do I start even the beginning of an Putting yourself out there a little bit first. 
the people who will see you through anything, you can't know that about them unless you start telling them the real stuff of what you're going through. They cannot be there for you unless you are honest. But most of us think we can't be honest and we could have some kind of feelings. We don't want to put it out there unless we know for sure that they will like us. We want them to make the first move. We want them to be the one who shows us that friendship and that relationship can be real. And so we're all standing just a couple of feet apart waiting for the other person to make our relationships happen. And it's not really working for any of us. This, I think, there are so many things to admire in the story of Ruth. There are so many things to be moved by and changed by um, and really interested in in the story of Ruth. We're going to talk a little bit about the book as a whole because it's so good and so fascinating. But one of the underreported gifts of Ruth is that she is absolutely unafraid of that kind of vulnerability and putting herself out there. Think of the things that she says to Naomi. And I want to say, you think of them as family, and if you've ever heard or read the Bible before, Ruth and Naomi come as a pair, right? People will talk about Ruth and Naomi together, Ruth and Naomi, the friendship, Ruth and Naomi who will follow each other anywhere. But that's not obvious at the beginning of the story. One of the oldest tropes in human culture is that you don't like your mother-in-law, right? <laughs> this is, uh, I read a, a um, an analyst of fairy tales who looks at fairy tales to sort of try and think about human culture and psychology. And they said that they think basically all evil stepmother stories are a way to talk about tension with your mother and tension with your mother-in-law in a way that doesn't threaten your actual family relationships. <laughs> because it's so common to have a difficult relationship, particularly daughters, particularly in traditional societies, with your mother-in-law because you are competitors for women of the household. And when women have so few resources anyway, have so little power anyway, have so little agency anyway, the one sphere where you're allowed to act and make decisions and be yourself, your daughter-in-law or your mother-in-law is a competitor for it, right? So in most other stories in the Bible, this is not a relationship of intimacy and strength and comfort. This is a relationship of tension and anxiety and competition. And yet, and yet, there Ruth is, being vulnerable, opening herself up, saying, I am yours. I will go where you it's not obvious from the beginning. Just to give you a little bit of a background, the part we didn't read. So Naomi is Ruth's mother-in-law. Naomi and Elimelech, this couple, grew up in Bethlehem, right? In Judea, the place where most of our Bible stories are kind of leading towards or coming away from. But there's a famine. It's the time of judges, which is in the Bible a time of sort of chaos, a time of challenge and difficulty. Um, and there's a famine, there's no food. And so, as humans have done throughout all of history, Naomi and Elimelech are immigrants. And they're immigrants who are not met by a wall, they're not met by a border, they're not met by a person with a gun. They go to a new place that has food and they settle. They settle there. They live there and they have two sons. And they're in Moab, which uh, throughout the Bible, Moab is the, um, often the code for foe or enemy. This is a group of people who had had a long history, because they were neighbors, of conflict with the Israelites. And so often when someone is called Moabite, that um, is a, an indication of the fact that like, they're the worst, they're immoral, so we don't like them. Um, but in this case, 
They settle in Moab and are welcomed and are fine. And both of their sons marry Moabite women. When marrying women who aren't Israelite is, in other parts of the Bible, considered a breaking of the law, right? An unacceptable task, an unacceptable thing to do. Uh, they do it. They marry these Moabite women. And then tragedy strikes. They found a place that welcomed them. They found a place with food. They had made a life for themselves. They had children, and their children had married, which in a patriarchal ancient society like is the thing. Get your kids married so that your family will continue. And then Naomi's husband and her two sons die. They die. And this is a time when um, the death of a family member is a personal and an emotional grief. right? It, it does what it would do to us today. But it's also, if you're a woman who no longer has any men in their family, it's a complete destruction of everything in your life. You have no way to access the legal system. You have no way to access the economic system. There is no longer anyone to get you food or protect you. There's a reason that throughout the Bible, when the Bible talks about justice, it talks about the most marginalized people being the widows and the if you don't have an adult male to care for you, you are utterly, totally screwed. So Naomi and her daughter-in-law, daughters-in-law, are not just in a place of personal grief. They're not just in a place of emotional vulnerability and risk, although they are that. They're also at the most risk they could ever be in, in every possible way. And they're trying to figure out what to do next. And so for Naomi, the answer seems to be, I immigrated once to save my life. I'm going to try it again. She decides that she's going to go back to her home country. She has heard that there's food once again in her home country. Maybe she'll find an extended family member. Maybe she'll find somebody who can help her, someone who she can be with, some way that she can make a life out of nothing, create a meal out of scraps. So that's what Naomi's going to do. And initially, her two daughters-in-law, people who grew up in the place where they are, they are in their home, right? They are in the place they start to follow her to this place where they have never been. They want to go with her because they have become a part of her family, right? They have become a part of her family. And she says to them, no, don't come with me. This is far too risky. It's too risky a trip. You don't know what we're going to find when we get there. You have families here. You have families here. Go back to your moms. <laughs> go back to your families of origin. I am not going to have another son for you in there. Because this is what would have happened, right? You would, your husband dies, you marry the next son. She says, I'm, I'm, I'm not having any more kids. <laughs> I'm not having any more sons. There will be no one for you to marry. Go back to your families of origin. It's not traditional, but I bet they'll take you. And then you'll have some protection, some food. Please stay here. That is the way you make me safe. And they both protest at first. But then Orpah takes her up on her offer. Which is not, in the, like, she's not doing anything wrong by doing that. She's doing the right thing, right? She's, she's taking her safety into her own hands the same way that Naomi's taking her safety into her own hands. She's returning to a place where she can live and survive and thrive. And it's what Naomi told her to do. But Ruth won't do it. Ruth won't do it. Ruth says, there is nothing. Stop asking me. Stop asking me to go. Stop asking me to go back. Stop asking me to be safe. Stop asking me to be away from you because you can't make me. I won't leave you. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. I am with you. And I think one of the reasons that we hear about Orpah 
is to let us know that this isn't just about a family obligation. It's not that Ruth is required to do this because of her prior history with Naomi. It's okay to take the other path too. It's telling us that something of what is beautiful about the relationship between Ruth and Naomi is that it's not just obligation, there's something of a way in which they have an affinity for each other. Ruth has chosen Naomi. She said, I know I have other options. I know I can keep myself safe. I know I can do other things. I know I can go home. I want to be with you. I want to go with you. I want to be connected to you for forever because that's how I feel about you and you can't stop it. It is. We know that it works out in the end, but it is in the moment of the story an enormously vulnerable statement to make. Naomi doesn't have to let her come. Naomi doesn't have to take care of her. Naomi even doesn't seem to have heard her or to value Ruth in the beginning in the same way that Ruth values Naomi. When Naomi gets back home and people ask her, like, basically, how are you doing? How have you been? We haven't seen you in a couple decades. She says, I am alone. I am without anything. Call me Mara. That means the name Naomi means like pleasantness, and the name Mara means bitterness. So she's basically saying, even my name can't be happy. That's how terrible things are. Um, I am alone. Which, after Ruth has basically just given up her entire life to be with her, is like kind of shady to Ruth. I don't, I don't love that Naomi says this to her family. Um, but, but even though Ruth can't be received in that moment the way she wants to be received, that does not stop her from being honest about what she wants and what she needs, which is this person. And to be with this person who she feels an affinity with, who she has a relationship with, who she cares about, who she feels connected to, to be with them through anything. And the God part is interesting um, because Ruth grew up a Moabite and so did not worship the God that we worship, the God of the Israelites, the God of the Bible, the one God. Um, Ruth had other gods that she had been raised with in her household. And a lot of people will talk about this story as Ruth having adopted Naomi's God. And so that's why she feels really connected to Naomi. But I think it's really clear that it's the other way around. <laughs> She feels really connected to Naomi, and that's why she chooses to connect to Naomi's God. You can't make me go away. I will be with you. You are my people. Your people are my people, and your God is my God. I would not have known this God anyway. I would not have cared about this God anyway, but because I know you, because I care for you, because I am in this for you, I'll be in it for your God, too. It's the reverse of the way the story is usually told. Most of us have a difficult enough time saying to someone, I would like to at some point get coffee with you. <laughs> Imagining the state of emotional openness and vulnerability and heart on the floor to be able to say, you are the only thing that matters to me. <laughs> Your people are my people. Your life is my life. Seems like a task too big and too embarrassing, right? Like, look at all those feelings that she's having out in the world and out in the open to ever consider having for ourselves. And we might not get there. I'm not saying that the next time you see a stranger on the street, right, the, the ask of God is to approach them and say, your people are my people. <laughs> um, but I am saying we can, we can take a dose of that 
we can take a dose of forgetting um, what our society thinks we should do, or what would be cool, or what might get a good response, and instead be honest about how we're feeling and what we need. That we need other people. That we need each other to survive. And that we're not willing to give up on that need, to give up on people, to give up on friendship, or to give up on ourselves. And we're going to be honest about the fact that we have loves and we have needs and we want to be with people. This church, I think, has been really, really wonderful at cultivating those kinds of friendships and those kinds of spaces where we can be vulnerable and be open and be a little braver than we otherwise thought we could be, both in worship and in corporate worship, but especially in small groups. So I'm really glad that you heard Rachel's testimony today about what her small group has meant to her. Is that we're going to be starting up all of our small groups in the next three weeks. Women's small group has a couple openings if you identify as a woman and are interested in that. We're also going to be having small groups that are based on different topics, on food and on eating, or on the Bible, or on, um, we're going to have a, an outdoors and creation small group this year. We're going to spend every other month making a thing and the month in between going outside. <laughs> whatever it is that is your interest, whatever it is that captivates you, there is a way to bond with other people around that. If only you will put in the time to get in front of those people, and then invest in the vulnerability to let them know that you like them and you need them. And that if you like them and you need them, there's going to have to be some follow-up. It's not just going to have happen on its own. We've got to put work in. I think this church has had a real gift at that. And if that hasn't been your experience, if you haven't been a part of one of those yet, we're going to keep trying until we find the right mix and the right match for you. And I want you to approach it like that. Me and our director of discipleship, Juan Pablo, and asking people to brunch after worship, right? Like all of these ways in which to create friendship. But I think the church also has a responsibility to start trying to cultivate some of that outside of our community. One thing that I think BBC has been really good at, or we've all been really good at, is that we have said, the church is not a building, the church is not the walls, the church is the people, right? The church is wherever we are, on whatever day we're there, in whatever we're doing, like that's where Jesus meets us. But I want us to extend it even farther. That the church is the people of the church, and then also the people who aren't in it, in whom we find ourselves, with whom we find ourselves in relationship of care and concern, and to whom we could show more of what our relationship, of what our church, of what our God and our Jesus have done for us. We can be Naomi and Ruth to each other, but we can also be who Naomi was to Ruth. A stranger of a different religion, of a different country, who extended herself and ended up forming a new relationship of depth and quality that neither had ever experienced before. It's clear to me that almost everything about our society is changing. How we're going to do church is changing. How we're going to do relationship is changing. Part of why some of you are struggling to make these adult relationships is that, like, there's not the bowling alley on the corner where everybody goes on Sunday night, and then there's, like, the, you know, uh, milkshake shop on the corner where everybody goes on Friday night, and there's not this place and then that place where you can just know, right? There's no um, coffee shop that's the only coffee shop in town, <laughs> club that's the only club in 
town that's always so conveniently in a sitcom so that you are regularly interacting with everybody. No, nobody's going to breakfast before work. Uh, there aren't these like spaces. And the church can be that space, and the church can make more of those spaces. The church is basically the last place in my life where I'm routinely brought into a relationship with people who are different from me in a way that is intimate and challenging. I don't have any other place in my life like that. The coffee shops I go to, the places I get books, the places I sing, the places I have fun, I'm not, I don't have to interact with anybody when I go to those places, or if I do, it's gentle. But the church has brought me into relationships with people who are of different perspective, maybe different age, different theology, and I love you. <laughs> and I think we love each other. We have found something new. And what we're doing in the church has to be done outside of it, too. So we just got a grant at Urban Village, and we're going to be trying something brand, brand new in the next year that I want all of you to consider being a part of and that I think is maybe the wave of the next thing. I think at Urban Village, we have pushed Sunday morning worship um, pretty far in how it can account for new kinds of lives and account for new um, ways of being with God. But there are people who are not in a place where they are going to be ever coming to a Sunday worship right now, given what has happened to them, given their experience, given their suspicion about what churches are about. And they still need friendship and relationship. And so we're going to be starting some um, ministry called Fresh Expressions. And so a fresh expression is any community in which there is an authentic, sustained practice of friendship and relationship around anything. These aren't going to be secret Jesus groups, right? No one's going to be like counting, how many baptisms did you secretly get by the end of the year? But the, we think that friendship and relationship are good in and of themselves. The way Naomi approached Ruth before she they ever talked about God was a good in and of itself to form this relationship. And so we are going to be funding people to start anything you can think of. Um, some of the things that we're already thinking about are um, running groups. Right? Get six, and, and the idea is 12 people, like the apostles, right? Six to 12 people. Enough people that it's not so many that you'll never know anything about them, but enough people that it's not just you and one person. Uh, maybe it's a running group. Maybe it's a going out to dinner group. Maybe it's a making music, like jamming on Friday nights group. Karaoke. Maybe it's a I think karaoke group would be a great idea. Right? <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to make that in a podcast. But we want you to consider, how can I cultivate friendships in a world that is against relationship and against vulnerability? What's a space where I could do that? What's a place where I could do that? What's a way I can hold a space for those who don't have the church in their life to create these relationships and friendships and authenticity for them? How can I create that kind of space? So we're going to have a training on August 25th on Fresh Expressions. Anyone is welcome. If you find this idea intriguing, if you find it suspicious and you want to challenge it, if you think you might do a group, if you think you might not do a group, anyone is welcome on August 25th. And then whether or not you're there on August 25th, everyone will be welcome in the first week of September to apply to start one of these groups based on anything that inspires you to try and reach and cultivate friendship for people who are not already a part of this community. So I'm going to challenge you to think about that. But even if you don't do one of these groups, to do that in your life. Vulnerability begets vulnerability. Know that everybody else is scared too, but that God loves you and you can be brave enough to say to someone, I like you and I'm scared too. I want relationship and I'm scared too. Be vulnerable because it will allow others to be vulnerable. And sometimes it won't work. Sometimes people will think that you 
you are uncool, and then you'll still survive. Sometimes people will find you a little odd, and then you'll still survive. And you won't be chained up behind a wall of your scaredness. Someone will say, yeah, man, me too. Someone will say, thank you so much. I have been waiting to have a real talk with someone. Someone will say, I like you too. Let's go get coffee and like each other and see what happens next. So let's go and be vulnerable. Maybe not with the same verbosity as Luke, but with that same spirit of bravery. Because we all need each other to survive. Amen? Amen. We're about to have our moment of offering. The greeters are going to be coming up the sides of the aisles with baskets. Um, into those baskets, you can put resources. We need resources to make this church go, to do all of the cool stuff we do, to do fresh expressions, to do bridge projects, to do Chicago Sky. Actually, that one's free because they love us. Uh, uh, Chicago Sky, guys, the sports team in Chicago that is the most welcoming to LGBTQ inclusive churches. They offer us free tickets all the time, and they're awesome. Um, but we need resources to do the things we do. So you can put resources in the basket. You can text UBC to 77977. But the greatest resource you have ever been given by God is yourself. You are an extraordinary gift from God. God made nobody else like you. You have so much inside of you to offer. You have so much inside of you to be seen. And we want to see it, and we want to be changed by it. This church is changed every day by somebody new who points out some way in which we can more greatly reflect the body of Christ by being impacted by who you are. So put in that tarot. Tell us about you. Tell us about what's on your mind. Tell us about the ways you want to get involved. Tell us about the new ways you think there should be to get involved. And we want to get to know